Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. It is such a privilege to be here. Lanny and I love you guys. We wish we could be here more often. (laughs) But we keep up with what's going on here at One Life through, of course, Jason and Ellie. And I've got to say, you know, I'm just a wee bit biased, but you guys have the most incredible pastors ever. And yes, for sure. I just am so proud of them. And again, I don't want to cry, but, you know, the faithfulness of God, you guys who have young kids, listen to this. The faithfulness of God is that they grow up to do this. And again, a little bit biased, but did you see those three cute kids in the front? Those are my grandkids, you guys. Next generation, and they're pretty cute and pretty special. But we are very happy to be here. Um, like I said, we, we try to keep up with what's going on, and we do love you guys from a distance, okay? Uh, what I'm going to do this morning is something that I came across in reading my chronological one-year Bible. Anybody done a one-year chronological Bible? Okay, that is an an incredible opportunity to to see the events of the Bible chronologically. And I've got to say, I am up to date. I mean, we're close to the end of the year and I am up to date. And I don't know if you are this way, I will confess that for me, if I come across a story in the Bible and I look at it and I go, oh my gosh, how many times have I read that in my life? There's nothing new that I can learn from that. Ooh, yes, there is. Whoever said that, that is okay. <laughs> and so I read a story and the Lord just pierced my heart with this story. It's a very familiar one that I want to share with you just in the, the short time that I have here. And it's from um, Matthew 14, 13 to 21. And if you guys are Bible guys, you can open it up. I am a big believer in reading the word out loud. So we're actually going to read that, if I can find it in my Bible. All right, so here we go. And I think it's up there, so you can see it too. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Can I say that again? You feed them. And the disciples, being who they are, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, said Jesus. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, 
the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I'm glad Jesus likes leftovers. (laughs) About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now, if you have your Bible, and if you like to mark your Bible, I would encourage you to circle in your Bible these five words uh, from verse 19. Jesus took, he took the five loaves. That's an important word. He uh, looked up to heaven, looked, important word right there. He blessed the loaves. Then breaking, he broke the loaves and gave the bread to the the disciples who then distributed it to the people in need. Okay, we're going to look at those five words for just a few minutes here. Um, it's, It's amazing to me that the word of God is always active, right? It always has something for us. So what about us when it comes to, I love this picture, to Jesus feeding the 5,000? It's a great story. It was a miracle. Things happened. And it was wonderful. But what has that got to do with us today? And this is what the Lord really put on my heart. Here we go. There are multitudes of spiritually hungry people around us. They're in our workplaces, they're in our schools, they're in our neighborhoods, they are all over this area, and they are spiritually hungry. They're also in remote places spiritually. And I've got to tell you, I don't know about you guys, but I have seen so many people lately who are battling with things like depression, anxiety, discouragement, sadness, despair, and sorrow. This is what people out in the world are experiencing. And so Jesus comes, and he has great compassion for them. But there is something he wants to do. He wants us to go feed them. What are we going to do? Are we going to send them away? No, you get, you get fed somewhere else. Or are we going to do what Jesus says in our lives? Jesus says to to us, you feed them. And what do we often say? Well, Lord, that's all well and good, but I only have whatever we think we have. I only have myself, and that's not a lot. And so we think that we cannot do what Jesus tells us to do Go feed the multitudes, the spiritually weak. Here are some things that will affect our response to Jesus. See if you're in one of these categories. I am in more than one. Comparison with what others have. Have you ever been there? Oh, well, I would do that, but if I could speak like that person, maybe I could. Or if I could pray like that person, yeah, maybe. But I'm just me. And comparison can really bring down what God has in our lives. I I think comparison is one of the greatest evils in our churches. Because we're all so incredibly made in the image of God. Each one of us and what we have. Here's another one. Devaluing what God has given us. Oh God. This is close to comparison. But I don't think I like the gift I have. 
Why did you give it to me? Well, no, God has a plan and a purpose. And he made each of us. And I love looking around a room like this because I see such variety. Oh my gosh. Where I can't meet needs, where Ellie can't meet needs, where Jason can't meet needs, you, sorry, you can meet needs, right? And so if we can value what God values in our lives, we're going to be equipped to go feed those spiritually hungry people in our lives. Okay, here's another one. Sullied by past or present sin. Sometimes we can say to the Lord, well, you know, in my past, I did this. Or maybe right now, Lord, nobody knows. But I've got this thing in my heart. No, God can say, come to me. I have such a thing as forgiveness. I have such a thing as making something new. So we shouldn't let that keep us from what God has for us. Here's another one. Inability to trust God with what we have. Sometimes we want to hang on to it too tightly and not let him use it for what he wants. And here's another one. Thinking we're disqualified because of hurt and weakness. Oh my gosh. I think if I were to talk to each one of you, I think each of us would have some hurt somewhere in our lives. Or weakness. If we're human, if we're breathing, if we're walking around, we have weakness and hurt that we have had to deal with. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior who died for us, died for our weakness. And by the way, what does the Bible say about weakness? Strength, yes. I have to think about that. I have some weak stuff going on here in this body. And I have to think, okay, Lord, I am weak. I am very weak. So this is an opportunity for you to be strong in my weakness. Let's not let that disqualify us. Here's another one. Burdened by disability, illness, and pain. This morning, the word was, ask God again for healing. And I believe in healing. And I want to keep asking for healing in my own body with some things that I'm working through. But you know, sometimes... God will not. And we can get caught up with, well, why is that person healed and not me? Well, there again, there's some purposes in that. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But I think that we as a body of Christ need to help those who are going through disability, illness, and pain. Can we stick around for the long haul? That is true love. And I think that that's needed in the body of Christ. Especially, can I say this, for our churches, mine, yours, that believe so strongly in healing that we forget there are some people suffering that need encouragement. And then the last one I have on my little list, there could be a lot more, is failure to take from Jesus the bread of life he has for us. Because it has to start there. And I love this verse from the Last Supper. I'm just going to read it. And Jesus is, you know, giving the Last Supper to his disciples before he goes to the garden and before he is crucified and risen again. And this is what it says. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take it. For this is my body. 
Does that sound familiar? That is so familiar. That's what he did feeding the 5,000. He needs to do that for us. We need to let him be the bread in our lives so that we can turn around and be bread to others that are around us, okay? So here is what he will do uh, with us. He will take whatever we give him. Are you willing to give him your weaknesses, your imperfections, your sin, um, what you have as giftings? Give it to him first. He takes it, and then he looks to heaven, because what's in heaven? God the Father, right? That's where the authority lies. That's where our authority lies. He blesses it. That's a good thing. I want my life to be blessed. But this is the kicker. Then he breaks it. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever been broken? Don't answer. (laughs) Because I think we all have. Whatever we have in our lives, he will take it and break it. And do you know the story about Jacob in the Old Testament? He wrestled with the angel. And when he was done, for the rest of his life, do you know what he had? He had a limp. He limped. It was the evidence that he had been broken But he was able then to go ahead and do what God wanted him to do. Breaking is not easy. But I think we can see it's a necessary thing. And then what does he do? He gives back to us what it is we originally gave to him so that we can give it to all the multitudes in our lives. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be going out to multitudes. You might be having a neighbor who needs Jesus, and it takes a lot of time. People take time. Maybe there's somebody in your workplace that the Lord wants to really put on your heart. There are so many people who who are spiritually needed. And let me give you an example. Uh, I do a a teaching in a small group at our church, and uh, the first day that I did this a couple months ago, I met a woman named Mary Ann. And I've been meeting with her a couple of times, and she is intent on talking to me about what gifts she wants God to use in her life. She would like to prophesy. She would like to teach. She would like to do a lot of different things. And she's had some brokenness in her life. But let me tell you a little bit more about Marianne. The first evening at my small group, she had a brown paper package that she gave to another woman in the group. And the woman opened it up, and inside was this beautiful quilt. It was stunning that she had made and given to this woman. Now, this particular woman, the recipient, had uh, a husband who had been sick for quite a while. And let me tell you that within a couple of months, that husband died. Now, was that timing or what? Getting that quilt caused her to be so um, comforted during a really dark time of the death of her husband. And so I talked to Marianne, and we got together, and we were just talking quilting. I've done this much. She's done this much. And as soon as we started to talk, she came alive. I have never seen anybody come alive as much as she did. Her eyes sparkled. Her voice got excited. And she talked a lot about all the details of quilting over my head. But then it switched, and she started talking about people she knew in her life 
that we're going through hard things. She talked about a woman who has leukemia. And this woman is not doing well with leukemia. And so my friend Marianne has said, I need to make a quilt for her. I'd like to make it in time to give it to her. Who knows the timing of, you know, our time on earth. We just don't know. And then she said, but maybe my quilt will be for her daughter to help comfort her when her mom is gone. It takes a lot of work to make a quilt. A lot of work. If you've never done that, it's just a lot. It's fun, but it's a lot of work. And then my friend Marianne proceeded to tell me, oh, and then there's this person and this person and this person. And she just lit up. And so I told her finally, I let her talk for a long time, and I said, do you know what you're doing? This is your gift. This is what you have given to Jesus. And look what he has done with it. Now, I don't know. She may prophesy. She may teach. She may do a lot of things. But right at that moment, in her hand, what she had was her quilt-making opportunities. And I just encouraged her that this is what is making a difference in people's lives. Does that make sense? We each have those things. And I think as we walk through life and are challenged, what do we have to give to God for him to break, to bless, and turn around and give it back to us? I think that there's so much that we could do. And in return, we are blessed as a result. So as I kind of come to an end here, two points I want to really leave with you. We each have specific gifts, talents, and can I say personalities that God wants to use in the lives of others. I will never quilt like my friend did, but there's other things I can do. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to devalue what I have but I'm going to use what he has given me in order to turn around and bless those he puts in my path. And number two, the second thing is pray that we can give to God what we have and trust him to use it for his kingdom. Whatever that is. Now, one of my favorite authors is Elizabeth Elliot. I've been reading her for decades. And if you don't know her, she's the wife, she was the widow of Jim Elliot who was a missionary who was martyred. You guys know the story of Jim Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot? It's kind of old school. But Elizabeth Elliot says this in closing. I have found that if, instead of praying for my own comfort and satisfaction, I ask the Lord to enable me to give others, an amazing thing often happens. I find my own needs wonderfully met. Now, we have needs. I have needs. You have needs. Obviously, the Word of God today talked about having needs. But as we reach out, as we ask God, who is it who's spiritually in a remote place? What can I do about it? He will marvelously turn around and bless us in return. So I think in the process here, I'm just going to end with a word of prayer before I have my husband come up and wow you with what he does. Um, I want to pray specifically for brokenness because that's the hard step. And I think we have to look at it the right way. Now, I'm not ever saying that God causes illness, pain, all of that. No, we live in a fallen world. There's an enemy out there. 
You know, it's all very real. But he does work at breaking the things that we have so we can turn around and give back to others. So if you would do this with me, if you would just put your hand on your heart and let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for the people of One Life. Thank you for where their church is located, right here in the midst of Napa, Lord, and in Treasure Valley. And I pray, Father, that as individuals and as a church, they would see what it is that they have to give to those who are spiritually hungry. As individuals and even as a church, Lord, looking around to be aware. And Father, I pray that during breaking times, each of the people here today would realize your work that you not only break, but you bless. And Lord, we we look to both, and we know that sometimes both are necessary. And we pray that out of weaknesses in our lives would come the strength of the Holy Spirit so that we can be available to turn around and bless those that we come across day by day. In Jesus' name I pray now. Amen. 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 Can we put our hands together for mom? Good word. Awesome word. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, get another piece of paper ready. You're, you're, you're kind of doing Bible college style today. So I'm, I'm kind of giving you, you know, at Bible college, we ran from class to class and it was like, you know, you're done. And you got five minutes to get to the next class and then you'd have to be ready and all of that. But um, dad has been teaching at Portland Bible College for uh, over 45 years, not 45 years. I mean, maybe, but... Uh, over 45 years uh, in uh, theology, biblical interpretation, and just has an anointing to be able to open the word in a way that's really inspiring for us um, this morning. So grab your Bibles, your notebooks, and let's welcome Dad this morning here today. Thank you. When we knew that we were going to come, Joanne and I took some time just to kind of seek the Lord individually. We didn't try to come up with a unified theme ahead of time. And it's really interesting. We ministered uh, occasionally, more recently together, that when we do that, when we finally compare notes, we realize they dovetail together. And the reason oftentimes is because there's a principle in Scripture, and that is that the Lord, and it tells us this back in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord now, when he wants to establish something, does it in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That way that we know that something's coming from different people and it reinforces it in our life. And so I'm going to touch on a few things that she did today. I I'm, want to focus uh, specifically on a passage from Second Corinthians, and we'll get there in just a minute. But I work with young people, and, and it's, it's a delight and it's also a challenge because as these young people look at the world now that they have to face as adults, it's becoming more and more intimidating. You put together Ukraine and the Middle East and the faltering, you know, economy that we're looking at and everything else, and then a presidential election, which is going to be a carnival. And, and we just look at all this and we realize that for these young people that haven't really had to deal a lot with adulthood yet, this can be very intimidating. It's like the children of Israel when they were at Kadesh Barnea and they looked at the cities in the land of Israel and they said their walls go to the sky and their people are giants and were like grasshoppers in their sight. It can almost become overwhelming. But see, sometimes we don't know the whole story because years later, about 38 years later, when they 
were on the verge of crossing into the promised land. Now Joshua sends out two spies, and two of them end up in the city of Jericho. And as they walk into the city of Jericho, the people that they feared so much, the walls that they saw, thought were so tall, they talked to a little lady that was in the town, and she says, Oh, about 40 years ago, we heard about you crossing the Red Sea, and our hearts melted within us because we knew there would be a day we would have to face you. See, we stand on one side of the wall, and it looks formidable. We don't understand what's going through their hearts on the other side of the wall. They are afraid. They're afraid, and especially when our God dries up the Jordan River and we walk across on dry land. That freaks them right out, all right? And we look at that, and too often we look from the perspective of the big wall and the little me. And we try to get an idea of how in the world am I going to face this with all the resources. And today I want to leave you with just a, a beautiful picture. It's the title of the message that I want to look at, and it's called Treasures in Earthen Jars. It comes from one of my favorite sections of scripture in here. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians. And in here now, when we look at this, this point, it's real it, important for all of us to realize that there are times in our life when we are going to have to face up to the fragility of our own nature. We realize that we are limited in our time and our energy and what we do and so forth. And we come here and we have to figure out what we're going to do when we come to this stark realization. What God has called us to do is bigger than we are. Now, I want to give you two scriptures. These are from the Apostle Paul. He's my all-time hero. He's probably one of the greatest of the apostles that live. He wrote half the books of the New Testament. He's one of the greatest early thinkers. And sometimes we get the idea that an apostle is these big guys that never get affected by anything negative. I'd like to read some passages. This is Paul talking about his own life. And 2 Corinthians is the most personal letter that he writes. He gets the most open with his reading audience. And I'll read you the first one here. And it's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 9. And it says this, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction now, which we occurred now in Asia. This is when he was in Turkey. He was around the city of Ephesus and so forth. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. This is the apostle. He said what we faced was beyond our strength. We were outnumbered. And it says, so that we despaired even of life. It's really hard for us to imagine that Paul hit the wall. That he said, I despaired of life. Death was even a welcoming thing to me because of the hardship that he went through. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves. So that, and this is the reason why God allowed this to happen in his life, we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. There are times when God will let us hit the wall. Why? So that we have to rely upon him to keep going. But we don't know our limitations until we reach them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is where the title of the message comes from, he's again talking about the things he went through, and he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, the treasure he's talking about is the glory of God that is revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's in the previous verse. Seeing the glory of God work through our lives and so forth, he says, this is a treasure. But God takes that treasure and he puts it in humans. 
earthen vessels, vessels that if you drop them, they break. The ceramic, you know, that we've got, the pottery that's there. And then he says this, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God now, uh, now will be of God and not of ourselves. And we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Notice the contrasts he gets here. Persecuted, but not forsaken. The world may pick on us. God doesn't abandon us. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested now in our mortal flesh. Notice what he says. He's aware of this. God's great treasure, the grace of God, that is going to reveal his glory in his people is placed in very fragile containers. We'd think that God would put that in some titanium, you know, bomb-proof type of thing. He puts it in the fragility of humanity. And he says, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that, and the surpassing greatness of my power will come. There's some great examples in the Bible of people who were not always strong, and they were broken. Look at the story of when God called Gideon. He said, oh, valiant warrior. And this guy's hiding. He's hiding. He's threshing a little bit of grain, and he's, he's looking around for the valiant warrior. When Jesus called uh, Peter the first time in Luke chapter 5, Peter said, get away from me. I'm a, I'm a dirty man. I'm a defiled man. I can't, he saw this great miracle, and he says, get away. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I can't do what you've asked me to do. I'm just a youth. When God told Moses what to do at the burning bush, he said, I can't talk. I have stammering lips. I can't do it. How many human beings, when they're faced with the call of God, said, I am not adequate? Right. Right. And yet God said, that's what makes you the perfect candidate. If you're adequate, you don't need me. If you're not, you'll depend upon me. And that way the two of us can work together and we'll do a good job. Look at two guys. Look at Peter. I look at, we look at Peter and, and he's such an, an irony in his, in his personality. He told Jesus one day, everybody else will deny you but not me. He said, I'm ready to die for you and I've got a sword to prove it. And guess what? A little servant girl comes up and says, you're one of the disciples. And the guy completely buckles at the knees. He's ready to go to, into mortal combat, but he can't handle a woman. Typical guy. I mean, he's there. And he's going to back away. And you know what? Jesus warned him just a few hours before this that this was going to happen. He said, I'll die for you. And he says, no, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And the rooster crowed the next morning, and Peter had already done that. And he ran away now and wept. He was broken. Not as a person. What was broken is his self-confidence. Now he knew the only way he could be a fisher of men is if Jesus helped him to do it. You know? And I know this for the rest of his life, and I, I bet this is true. Every morning he heard a rooster crow. It reminded him of his failure. 
But he also knew that after that denial, a week later, Jesus meets him on the beach of the Sea of Galilee and it says, feed my people. You failed, but I knew it was going to happen. Okay. I didn't stop it because really the failure and the brokenness is part of what's going to make you stronger. Because you'll look to me. You look at Paul. You look in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is just this great guy, but he says this. I had a thorn in the flesh. I prayed to God three times. And this is what my wife was sharing with you. He says, God, take this thorn away. And God says, nothing doing. And he says, it stays. And the reason it stays is this. I'm going to give you so much understanding and revelation that that's going to blow your head. You're going to get arrogant and proud. And so guess what? I'm going to temper all that pride with a brokenness in in your life. And I'm going to send a messenger of Satan to buffet you. Why? So that you stay useful. So you stay useful. And we look at Paul, and Paul is there. And he goes through his life, and he comes out the other end, and he, and he says this, I then come to a place where I know this. When I am weak is actually when I'm the strongest. Because then I make room for God to come in. Now, I'd like to give you a scripture, and I want to give you an analogy, a picture in your mind. It comes from John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This passage was given by Jesus to his apostles just a few hours before he's crucified. This is part of his preparation of them because in just a few hours, they're going to watch their leader die miserably. And they're going to be left with all kinds of questions in their head. What have we done? What have we gotten into? And yet this is what Jesus is going to say. In chapter 12 of John, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The seed will never bear fruit as long as it stays a seed. And you look through the whole process here, and it's really important that the reason God created seeds is not so they stay seeds forever. It's so that they germinate and they can produce plants that produce even greater life and ensure the crop for generations to come. But he said the only way to produce more fruit and to secure for generations is a seed must die. When you look at seeds now, and you go and you plant those seeds out, God designed them in a very beautiful way. He designs them with different layers in there. And the outer layer is called the tesla. It's the coating. It's the covering over a seed. It's there to protect that seed from fungus and from bacteria in the soil and from predators. It's that little thing that's shiny and it looks to be so hard in there. And you know what? In order for that little seed to create new life, That hard, self-protective shell has to crack. And how God does that is a unique process. It's called scarring, where the seed begins to absorb water that softens that shell and allows it to crack so that what? That little radical, that little root can come out, and that little plumule that's going to grow up and create the leaves, they can't get out as long as the barrier is there. Some of the things that keep us from being fruitful is self-protection. We want to be in control. We don't want anything to touch our life. And yet God says, let me rain on you. Let me soften that. Let me crack that thing. And guess what? 
new life can come out. This is in the process. It is not an accident. It's designed by it. In fact, you guys that are into viticulture say this. It's a programmed cell death. The seed has to die in order to produce life. And Jesus said this just a few hours before what? They opened his life up by scourging him, by stabbing him, and so forth, so that what? He could give out the life that's going to produce the church, his people. He emptied himself of that. Those seeds look great, but those seeds will just say seeds and produce no life until they're broken. And sometimes this is what the Lord wants to do in our life because we can get so much potential energy locked up in, the only way the potential energy can be reduced to life-producing sugar is to just let God bathe us and soak us till we crack. I find it interesting that when Jesus appeared to his disciples the week after he was there, well, it was actually the day of his resurrection, he walked in the middle of them and he showed them his hands. Why? Because of the scarring. He had been broken. And in breaking, he poured out the life that now they could go out and do what they were going to do. I'm going to read you just a couple of last scriptures here and wrap it up. I just want to pray for you, but one scripture I'd like to give you here is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verses 3 through 4. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 3 through 4. And this again is in that amazing book of 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking so much about the process he had to go through. And he says this, Such is the confidence we have towards God through Christ. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves, but our adequacy now is from God. None of us are up for the job. And I look at this, and I know we all get discouraged at times by what Joanne said, how little our sackcloth is and how big the crowd is. But a little bit in the hand of God can take care of a lot. And we have to get the eyes now that God wants us to have of faith. And say, but life can be so hard. This is why the Father in heaven sent his Son in a human body. Why? So he get tired, just like you do. So he get hungry, just like you do. So that he could feel pain, just like you do, when his family didn't even believe in him, his brothers and siblings did not till after the resurrection. So that he could be betrayed and feel the pain of that. So that he could get weary from a journey, and so that he could even die. He had to feel what it's like to have an earthen vessel so that what? He can help us when we walk through those times. He was made at all points like we are so that he can help us in the things that are there. This is such the beautiful thing. And I want to give you, a you know, if, if you struggle sometimes with this whole thing of personal inadequacy, I'd encourage you to do one thing. Go home and read the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul is going to bring the whole redemptive process to its climax. It is considered the greatest of all Pauline chapters in the Bible. And I want to leave you with this. 
In the middle of that chapter, it's going to say this. The Holy Spirit helps us because when we don't know how to pray, he prays for us. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, it says Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's praying for you. He's interceding. Now, I don't know about you, but to step back for a minute and think there are two members of the Godhead that are praying for me. My sense of inadequacy seems very small if I know he's praying for me. If I know he's on my side, if I know that he's not ashamed of the fact that I am just like grass, I'm here today and I wither tomorrow, he says, that's the kind of people I work with. God didn't pick the strong, he didn't pick the mighty, he picked the weak. He picked those who looked to him. So, I'm based upon what Joanne and I have left you today. Don't think that what you have is insufficient. God can feed a crowd with very little. And don't think that your brokenness is your end. It may be the step to greater life. And God can bring greater life out of it. That is where kingdom values are just the opposite of what we're used to in this life. And we have to learn to trust him for that. Now, let me pray for you. Father, we just come. And as we've taken the time to look at a theme through the Bible, and that is the fact that, Lord, you have such great ability beyond what we do, and that we can trust you, not on ourselves, we trust you, that whatever you have started in our life, that we are convinced that you can finish it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those that struggle with brokenness, let the oil of your Spirit flow into them. Let them not look with discouragement at that brokenness, but let them realize the life that you can bring out of them. We commit ourselves to you. We present ourselves. We place our lives in your hand and say, break them if need be so that others can be fed because that which you are what you want to do. Bless this church. Strengthen them now, we just pray in your name. Amen.